Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Watch podcast. So, with a new name comes a new affiliation. So, I am delighted to announce for the month of September, I'm going to be working with an amazing pal of mine, Laura Farrington. So, Laura was back on the podcast a little while ago where she spoke about how she has dealt with her own meditation, how she's dealt with her own anxiety, how she's dealt with her own traumatic past experiences. And Laura and I have been friends for a long, long time at this stage. And Laura has launched a a new meditation service and it's perfect for someone who's feeling anxious stressed or simply looking to feel better in their own daily routine and daily life laura is providing classes monday to friday for 15 minutes so 7 a.m is one class 8 a.m is the next class it's simply 15 minutes and it's a beginner's journey into meditation laura qualified to teach meditation about five years ago uh, through her course in india and she's also a fully qualified fully qualified yoga teacher as well and the classes are incredible so I'm delighted to be partnering up with Laura. There's classes that you can sign up for weekly passes. There's daily passes or there are other passes as well. And it's hugely important that if you're looking forward to create some sort of morning routine with the kids going back to school, trying to start start off your day right, or you're just looking to do a quick meditation, maybe even in the bus or in the car when the kids are kind of gotten out of the car or else even in the shower or whatever it may be, you can you can work with Laura and kind of join in and book that 15 minutes in for yourself and that could start off the day on the right foot. So if you're interested in working with Laura and joining up for our courses, head over to Meditate With Laura on Instagram or head over to www.meditatewithlaura.ie and I have a code of Shane25, S-H-A-N-E, 25 for 25% off your initial first purchase. So if you are interested in work with Laura, www.meditatewithlaura.ie, Shane25 is the discount. And I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the newly branded Shane Walsh podcast. I'm super, super excited. Today is one of those episodes where this person aka Brett Bartholomew who was one of the first books that I ever read as a coach and to have Brett on is truly spectacular he doesn't do many requests and to get him on the podcast is is truly humbling and to spend a little over an hour chatting to the man was was amazing and Brett was really really informative and some of the information that he kind of gave out to this episode is can be relevant to everyone and anyone if anyone's in a management position anyone is kind of working with staff or has staff members or is a coach or a pt or nutritionist or dietitian whatever it may be and they're looking to kind of improve their communication and as brett kind of talks about like communication is one of those underrated tools that we can all kind of invest in these courses like oh what's the quick fix to kind of get sales or what's the quick fix to kind of get marketing or if you're a pt kind of going for squat courses but we don't really invest in how to communicate in order of people's psychology and communication and brett is a performance coach he is a best-selling author keynote speaker and host of a top-ranked podcast after nearly losing his life as a teenager in part due to poor medical care brett founded the leadership development company art of coaching which focuses on the unique role optimized communication plays within organizations and elite teams. His experience includes working with members of Fortune 500 companies, the US Special Forces, and sporting organizations, professional athletes. And his book, Conscious Coaching, The Art and Science of Building Buy-in, achieved international bestseller status in two categories and has been ranked as Amazon top 100 books overall. Conscious Coaching has since crossed over into other industries and is used by universities worldwide as source material to help guide future leaders and professionals. The Art of Coaching podcast exploded onto the scene in 2019. 
experiencing 409% growth in less than 12 months, nearly half a million downloads and subscribers in over 200 countries, all while remaining focused on hard-hitting topics centered around real-world leadership strategies impl implemented by everyday people as opposed to celebrities. Brett is also the vice president of the non-profit organization Movement to Be, which helps youth in underprivileged communities as well. He's currently conducting his doctoral research, and if anyone is looking to Brett has talks coming up in October if anyone was looking to kind of work with Brett or do any of his courses I would highly recommend kind of going over to to the website as well which is hugely hugely factual so if anyone is interested in going over to brettbartholomew.net uh, I would highly encourage you guys to do that he has loads and loads of courses that are very very useful for anyone that is kind of managing or coaching so some of the things that we kind of talk about are the different elements of getting buy-in the how you treat yourself and the way you want to treat others how not to dictate to others the different types of archetypes which are in the amazing book as well how to be vulnerable and to get to buy-in get buy-in that way and the top three mistakes he sees coaches getting made and trying to avoid so i hope you enjoy the episode it's really really passionate and that's something that i love about brett he's very very passionate what he does and i don't think there's anyone else that's so passionate about what he does in, in that field so i hope you guys enjoyed the episode with the amazing brett bartholomew brett thank you so much for coming on my man my pleasure happy to be here thanks for having me shane brett i, I gave you a brief intro and i know this is a big deal for me because your book was the very very first book that i ever bought as a coach so i'm gonna let you tell us your a little bit of a background for yourself how you kind of got into this realm and how the idea of kind of like the books and your podcast all that kind of stuff came about Sure. Yeah. I'll give the reader's digest version. Uh, I, I've been a strength and conditioning coach for over 15 years, predominantly working uh, with professional athletes, although I've worked with athletes uh, of all ages across 23 sports and uh, you know, got, got into it after being hospitalized at a very young age, nearly lost my life uh, in part due to some things I went through when I was younger, following bad training advice, not really knowing what was going on, really broke my body down spent a year of my life. For those of you that have read the book, this is familiar. Uh, I spent a year of my life hospitalized in an inpatient hospital in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a place that the rules were so strict, you could not even shower for the first two weeks, or at least I couldn't because they thought the initial shock of hot or cold would send me into cardiac arrest, was facing liver and kidney damage that was going to be irreparable had I not say, uh, sought out a solution. So you know, my experience in that hospital, my experience in nearly losing my life at a young age, gave me a fascination with the body that was ever growing. It also gave me a fascination with social psychology because of all the things I witnessed while in this hospital. And, you know, so sought out a lot of different avenues that I could really use that knowledge, right? Like, what could I do? How could I turn this story into something useful or the mess into the message? And I'd always played sports my entire life. And I knew being fascinated with the body, playing sports, voila, you know, there was a, there was a field called strength and conditioning. And it was a very popular field in the state that I grew up, you know, in, in Nebraska, which is smack dab in the middle of the country in the United States because the University of Nebraska was the first college football team to really use strength training at scale for their athletes during a time where, you know, people still thought lifting weights was going to make people slower, right? This was in the 1960s. And other than Alvin Roy and Boyd Epley, there weren't people doing this in the football space at scale. Um, so, you know, after I graduated college, Kansas State University, um, I went and got an internship with a company that was called Athletes Performance, worked a lot with military, professional sport, got experience with youth, 
after that point in time, I wanted to get experience in the team side of things. So went to the University of Nebraska and worked as a volunteer slash assistant for their football program, massive football program. They live, they live, eat, uh, drink, breathe, strength and conditioning. And after that point, I went on to pursue a master's degree predominantly in motor learning. The emphasis was on cueing and, and helping athletes, uh, seeing how they perform better just based off the words and the cues and the, the coaching uh, phrases that we're able to, to deliver and, and alter and was a head strength coach for about eight sports over the course of my time there as a GA and an assistant for football and, uh, and basketball, and then took a full-time job with a company that then changed its name to Exos, where I continued to work with military professional sport uh, and eventually went on to kind of run the, the pro sports side of things, specifically NFL, major and minor league baseball, combat sports. And then I'd speak a certain percentage of the year doing their educational events. Uh, after that point in time, I went off on my own, started a company uh, called Art of Coaching, that was shortly after I had written a book called Conscious Coaching, which is available worldwide and was the result of me looking at the market and seeing this massive obsession with people who would learn about the sets and reps and periodization, uh, or there's a ton of sports science out there, but there was nothing really for the coaches coach amongst us that could help you learn how to really interact with a wide variety of personalities. All the coaching books that I had read were kind of you know, warm, fuzzy, uh, let them know you care, all this. And I needed something tactical. I needed something tactical because when I was 25 working with pro athletes, right, you need to find a way to get these guys that are essentially millionaires, multimillionaires, the world's best at what they do to listen to a scrawny 5'8 kid from Omaha, Nebraska that can't run as fast as them or jump as high. And so I decided there's a problem. I want to help solve it. I'm not saying my book solves all those problems, right? Coach development still needs to grow tremendously in the space of art of coaching. Uh, but but that was really the springboard to everything we're doing now as an organization. And so I sit here today and art of coaching has expanded beyond sports performance. We help people that are lawyers, doctors. Uh, we, we work in the military space. We help entrepreneurs because coaching, as you know, Shane, is a term that transcends far beyond sport, right? It's a term that really was brought about in the 1500s really meant, you know, it was a means to take somebody on a journey. And then that was also a synonym to be used for mentoring. But we, our main goal now is to really alter the way people communicate in high stakes moments in their life so they can build buy-in, get better effort, more trust, and, you know, waste less time ultimately. I think that's an incredible roundup of like such a, a massive broad, broad career that you've, you've had. And it's it, like the book is, is one of those that I think, all coaches, nutritionists, whatever they're doing, as you said, lawyers, doctors, whatever it may be, is one of those books that like you can grab something from it that is easily applicable to somewhere. Like if you're a manager, it's how to look at different archetypes as you've spoken about so, so brilliantly there. You talk about the art of kind of like the main elements of getting a buy-in as a coach. And it's even getting buy-in as a manager. And this can be applied to that as well. What are the main elements that you talk about? Like, I know there's like relationship, social intelligence, time, but can you kind of break those down into, into a little bit more detail? Sure. Yeah. And this has evolved, uh, I mean, a tremendous amount since the book. You know, we've since gone on to do online courses and live events and we've evolved our framework. Um, so this certainly isn't everything. This is just a starting point for people in the book. Uh, we wanted it to be simple and straightforward. So yeah, we, we say that, you know, building trust when you're trying to build trust, because that's all buy-in is. 
buy-in by definition is trust plus commitment. And there's a difference between commitment and compliance. And we can talk about that later if you want. But when we look at this compass, just like there's North, East, South, West, we look at to understand what it takes to build true buy-in. First of all, you got to understand human dynamics of, of relationships. What goes into a relationship, right? Think of communication. Coaching by itself is underpinned by the process of communication. By and large, people, uh, our, our base state is one of misunderstanding. Shane, this is my first time interacting with you in depth. We don't know one another. I don't know your listeners. Your listeners might not understand what I'm going to say. I may not understand them right off the bat. So communication is a skill that allows us to bridge the gap between our own inherent state of misunderstanding that humans start off on. And so when it goes into relationships, you have to really understand you know, what inherently goes into trust and distrust? Why do people perceive things and people the way they do? How do they navigate judgments, right? Because it's not about just imagine this, right? I can't just go to an athlete and say, Hey man, I care about you. You should train with me because I care about you. He or she's going to look at me and be like, dude, who are, like, who are you? Cool. Uh, that's awesome. Right. You have to understand that that's not how you approach these interactions. There's inherent power dynamics in these interactions that you're going to have to navigate. And that takes us to the second part of it, social intelligence, right? Like what goes into being socially agile? How do you understand what influence tactics to use when you're communicating with somebody? How do you know, you know, how to, how to leverage different aspects of verbal and nonverbal? How do you know how to get asked the right kinds of questions to get the information you need from them? Because you got to be able to research, relate, reframe as a coach. You got to learn more about somebody you got to be able to listen to that. And that's harder than most. Most people don't know the difference between hearing and listening. There's a lot of people out there that hear, but they're not really listening. You need to be able to disclose a little bit about yourself. And then you've got to be able to take what you know about them, what you know about you, what they know about you. And you've got to use that to really sell them on this vision of the future that you have for them based on the training program and, and all that. You have to speak in their language, right? I made that mistake as a 20 something odd coach that, you know, hey, and I'd spit a bunch of jargon at them. You know, you, we got a great program. This is how the periodization goes. We're going to do these kinds of movement skills. It's really going to help with your motor skill acquisition. That person's looking at me like, what? You know, that's not so. And, and of course, at that time, it was me just being insecure, wanting somebody to know that I knew my stuff and I cared about them and they were in good hands. So I did that by using a lot of jargon. And that's not socially intelligent. It's not about what you know. Coaching is about what you know and making it very easy, nearly unmistakable for somebody else to understand. Because there's so many layers to this. There's what's in your head. How do you make sense of it? How do you communicate it? How does somebody else interpret that? You know, And then all these other phrases, how do they act upon that? Was it accurate? All those pieces. So that ties in with the relationships, the social intelligence, right? Then you just look at time. Listen, at the end of the day, you can't, there's no hack for this. There's no hack for building trust with people, not lasting trust, not true buy-in. Sure, I can make you feel warm and fuzzy, or you know, I can show you all the jerseys of these athletes behind me and you can trust I'm a subject matter expert or whatever. But unless I prove good on my point, all that's for not, right? Like there are plenty of people that have written books and they're perceived as experts. And then people go see them live. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. Right. So I, you know, I go out and I, I have to present. I've gone to 40 different countries. We usually travel 80 to 100,000 miles a year. There's real, there's risk on the line, right? You're going to know very quickly if I know what I'm talking about or not because I can't hide. And that's part of what I love about this profession. Real coaches don't hide. They get into the messy, murky aspects 
of, of what these things take. And they don't worry about having the right answer. They worry about just working them their ways through. And that's, that's a big part of what's killing coaching right now too. Everybody thinks just all the research and all the information is going to help them, but then they have no experience. And then there's other people that have all this experience, but they don't research anything. And so they don't even know where their blind spots are, right? So uh, collectively, you're looking at this, so understanding trust, understanding relationships, understanding social intelligence, understanding the aspect of time. Not every everybody is coachable, yes, but they're not always going to hear your message in the moment. You have 20,000 people that listen to each episode a month, right, Shane? Am I correct? Around yeah. 20,000 downloads, mm-hmm. right? The amount of people, the amount of people that actually take what I'm going to say and what we're going to talk about in this episode and really absorb it and utilize it is infant is very small because there's some people that would rather just hear me talk about agility, change of direction, you know, my, my yeah. passion for creating programs. And then, you know what, they're going to realize some point they're going to be good at those things and they're not going to get a job because somebody understood the communication side better than them. Or unfortunately they're going to lose a loved one in a relationship. Maybe it's a breakup, maybe it's a divorce because they weren't good communicators or they didn't know how to build buy-in with people. So they lost a leadership position And then, and only then are they going to realize, oh yeah, like that's because listen, understanding sets and reps, that's step number one to get in this field, right? Understanding physiology, biology, biomechanics. Cool. That's a prerequisite sets and reps, how to design a program. Congratulations. You've done the bare minimum to get in this field, the bare minimum understanding how to coach and more importantly, understanding how to adapt as a coach during some of the stickiest, messiest moments when you're coaching, that's the other level. That's leadership. Believe me, the people that are CEOs of major Fortune 500 companies, it's not like they're just the best engineers in the world. They were great engineers or great chemists or great whatever the hell they built. And they were extremely socially skilled. And that fascinates me when there's so many coaches that think they're already socially skilled. When I'd say, okay, quantify that. Show me show me your evaluation. Because if you say you're strong, Shane, and you squat twice your body weight, you deadlift twice your body weight, and you're able to do this, and you can clean 1.25 times your body weight with good technique. Sure, man, you're strong on these indices. But it's amazing when I ask coaches, like, oh, you think you're great at communication already. Okay, so this thing that poor communication has caused wars, it's caused companies to go bankrupt, it's ended marriages. You think you're already really good at this, and there's nothing more to learn. You don't need to go to clinics for this. You don't need to read books on this, anything. Cool. Show me that data. Where have you... Do you know of anything like that, Shane? Do you know of a way that coaches have been objectively evaluating themselves on how good they are at this? I think a lot of coaches for a long time, as you said, will use those metrics like the lifts, how much can you bench, all that kind of stuff, rather than using it as a metric for progress. Because I think what you said is we can all program something. It's the first thing that you're taught in on your course or your PT course, but you're not actually taught how to communicate to someone. You're not, you're like, you, you forget the human element to it. And if they are, they they went to some like Tony Robbins-esque inspirational <laughs> workshop. Yeah, That's not what we do, right? Like at our workshops, when people go like, they're called the apprenticeship and they're called that because when you're an apprentice, you're always learning, right? Like nobody ever masters this yeah. stuff. Like I'm not going to be, a, a, being a better communicator is always context dependent, right? But we put people in role-playing scenarios, you know, such as, hey, you got five guys, five people in front of you. One's a baby boomer, one's Gen Z, one's this, one's that. You've got to explain this to them in five different ways and you got 30 seconds, right? Or we, we put people in situations where they've got to navigate asking for a raise. We've got to do, and we do video replays and breakdowns. We have full scale like evaluations. I know your audience can't see this, 
but we have full-scale evaluations where people will get evaluated on all this stuff that we're researching and I'm researching as part of my doctorate to help them really know what communication is. They get a peer evaluation, a self-evaluation so that they can actually leave because as it exists today, no certification, no governing body has a full-scale research-backed module on communicating under duress and, and behavior and social dynamics and what have you. They may have like customer relations or motivational interviewing or what have you, but there's nothing as research-backed as this. And the reality is, Shane, a lot of coaches are just like, I can give them the four parts of you know what we just mentioned in the book. I can give them all the details, but they're far more comfortable in the weight room than they are outside of it. So they love going to clinics that teach them how to train and, oh, here's a new TRX thing and a new kettlebell thing. But then when you ask them to actually get face-to-face with peers and get made uncomfortable and you know they may end up looking stupid in the moment, they get really defensive. And as opposed to that, they should say, hey, I coach athletes that practice every single day and they're going to make dumb mistakes and they grow from it. I need to do the same thing as a coach because how do coaches practice? What, they just get an internship? That's not you're, you're working. You're not practicing there. You're learning, but you actually have to practice in real time against things. And so that's, that's what we're doing. And that's what those four areas that, you know, the book really kicked off part of how they've evolved into us creating a bigger ecosystem of education for coaches. You mentioned one thing that I, I, I or two things that I really, really love and what you said there is in relation to being able to break down the information to the different dynamics to, to the different people like Gen Z and everyone. Like if you're talking to say Mary down the road that has never sat foot into a gym or has never done anything or counted a calorie or whatever it may be. And then he's also spoke about that everybody is coachable, which I think some people don't realize. And I also think that some coaches don't realize. I know I've been guilty of this previously is that everyone is coachable. It's just finding the right approach to that person. And the right timing. Yeah. 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 Mass- massively. You also mentioned about being vulnerable and being open to your own because the first thing you said on your journey was about being ill, that you were you were talking to us and getting that kind of hook straight away. And that was, I don't know if that was intentional. I don't know what that was, but I kind yeah, of- I mean, of course, people, of course it's intentional because people need to understand that it's kind of like, imagine for your business, right? Or, or whatever you're doing, you start talking about- Sally, who got all these results and whatever. Well, that doesn't, who the, who's Sally? What does Sally mean to us? Right. So I could sit here and be like, hey, guys, I've worked with all these pro athletes. I've done all this stuff over 15 years. And let me tell you the names of everybody. Blah, 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 blah. Or I can sit here and talk about, hey, there's a, there's a bigger reason why I got in this field and there better be for you too. Because if you just think sports are cool and you like the weight room and you want to become a strength coach or a trainer, get the hell out. There, that's not what this job is about. Training is nothing more than a tool to teach other people what they're capable of. You are in the coaching profession. And poor communication doesn't just cost people their result results. It can cost people their lives. And that was the absolute truth in my situation. It's a truth with a lot of the military we work with. If people don't know how to communicate and they don't know how to communicate well and they don't know their own blind spots and they've never been assessed and they've never gone to workshops and they never dove deep on this. I mean, Shane, let me put it in perspective for some of the listeners. $356 billion, $356 billion US dollars was spent in 2015 alone on interpersonal skills training by organizations outside of strength and conditioning. If you ask the average person inside strength and conditioning how much they spent on Con Ed, and, and everybody's going to have different financial constraints, so that's not me picking on that. I, 
I didn't make more than 20K ever until like I was 25 years old. I mean, like 10K or I did two unpaid internships, all that. So no troll is going to act like I'm, I'm saying, oh, you know, if you, you know, you, if you don't have money, it's on you. What I'm saying is the coaches on average will spend around 500 to 2,500 a year on Con Ed. And almost all those things are mobility or training or some kind of technology. Literally, we have the data that shows that of 285 coach development workshops, fewer than 6% of coaches do anything on interpersonal skills training and fewer than 4% do anything on intrapersonal skills training. Think about that for a minute. Think about that asymmetry. It's a profession that's like, oh, we want to get you stronger. We want to have less asymmetries. Yet think of the asymmetries in development in coaching. You know, and it's because a lot of the how this stuff's been commercialized, right? We've commercialized train. Like, think about this. It's a whole industry. These equipment manufacturers and these companies, I mean, these these conferences are put on by equipment manufacturers. So then they teach you cool things to do with the equipment. And every coach wants to look credible. And because the value of a coach is subjective, right? Like some people just think we're exercise people. They don't really know what we do. Most coaches want a virtue signal. Oh, I'm a better coach than this person, or I'm smarter than that person because I have this cert or I have this tool or I can do this exercise. Your job is coaching. Your job is coaching. And so, uh, you know, it's just really interesting how some coaches have that blind spot. They don't know what they're being sold. They're being sold a lot of sizzle, but it's okay. Like, listen, if you, if you, I have my CSCS, I have my RSCCD, I have my master's, I'm getting my doctorate. But I, if all of a sudden I need, you know, I got to go, let's say I go to 10 clinics a year. And they're all training or mobility or something. And not one of them is actually on coaching or uh, the science of behavior change and interpersonal dynamics and power dynamics. Something is off there when literally the definition of coaching is one in which you are a social being working in a social environment. And the only way that you can communicate is verbally and non-verbally, but you don't work on those skills. So it's just, it's interesting. And I hope coaches recognize this because it also doesn't help that a lot of people looked at the art of coaching, not my business, but the term in the past, like it's this um, soft skill, uh, non-quantifiable thing. That is such a lie. The art of coaching is 100% about learning how to analyze, identify, and adapt to any variable that impacts human performance. And if communication wasn't quantifiable, you wouldn't have people spending $10 million on a 30-second Super Bowl ad. You wouldn't have people with marketing degrees. You wouldn't have Google Analytics. And and every aspect of human behavior is quantifiable. People know why certain people go to certain websites. They know what kind of messaging works to get people to buy junk food, to get them to buy cigarettes, to get them to wear masks, not wear masks. People under, this is all quantified. We have data on human behavior ad nauseum. Believe me, the study of human behavior and communication far predates the study of deadlifts and squats. And that doesn't mean one's not important and one is. It just means that one has been very heavy in terms of what people have chased after. And one has been, a lot of people have treated the other one in a negligent manner. I think that's an amazing thing that you've said. Like we all treat like the deadlifting thing is superior compared to what human behavior is. And I think that's that's an amazing sentiment that I don't think, I think a lot of coaches need to probably replay that and replay that, replay that to themselves because- I've seen it before, uh, like on the gym floor and stuff that they'll, they won't, they'll be on their phone when they're like, when they're with their client or they'll, they won't even talk to their client. It's like, right, you're doing this A, B, Z, and then you can go home. There's no communication at all. Getting to know the person and being able to actually reflect on the session as well. You talk about how important self-reflection is on a coach's journey 
on their own story to be able to actually relate with the client and able to communicate and be able to see that person as a human rather than being seen as just another client coming in for their one hour, 45 minute session, whatever it may be. How important is self-reflection for a coach? Yeah. I mean, it's almost like saying how important is uh, having an understanding of your strengths and weaknesses uh, before you decide to get married to somebody else or go on a date. And uh, like, how important is it to know who you are as a person? Right. Like not as a coach, as anybody. And this is a big reason why we see what the research calls the better than average effect is because people, people are not as good at communicating or as doing anything as they think they are, which is very related to Dunning-Kruger, right? Dunning-Kruger effect is I'm unskilled and I'm unaware of it, right? People don't typically understand their own incompetence or lack of self-awareness. So they, they tend to lead themselves as being, or, uh, uh, um, rate themselves as being better than they really are. Right. Well, it's even worse with the better than average effect is most people will rank themselves. Like if I say, Hey, you know, I, I want a socially agile coach who's very relatable and, you know, understands how to connect with people, people that, that fall victim to this and are not self-aware will rank themselves higher than average in general on, on anything that's socially desirable. But the more socially desirable a trait becomes, whether it's you being generous, you being attractive, you being intelligent, people will continue to rank themselves higher than average. You know, every now and then you'll get coaches that will be like, oh, there's always room for improvement and I'm really not that good. And that's fine. But some of that is them just using what's called an exemplification uh, impression management tactic or supplication. They're actually using this self-deprecating humor statement to kind of come off as humble, but they're really doing it to be more liked. And so the point is, is, you know, if you, if you're not self-aware and you don't reflect and, and you don't actually get in environments where you're, you're, you're given feedback and you're thrown to the wolves and what have you, you are in 34 plus years of research proves this. You are more likely to rank yourself more virtuous, more competent, and more compassionate than you actually really are. And, and that's just because people want to pursue and maintain or augment this inflated self-view. We don't like that. And it's so funny because we'll ask people that don't even like training. You know, some of the best athletes I've ever coached, they don't like training. You know, some of your clients or some of the people that are listening, maybe they're just personal trainers. And what, do you think everybody that comes to you likes training? You see these people, sometimes they're very powerful, confident people in one dynamic of their life. And then you ask them to come get sweaty and they get their butt kicked and they look really weak and maybe they perform something embarrassing. And you're always like, yeah, that's all right. Part of growth. Keep going. But then where do you do that in your life? Coaches always say, well, I get better every day. Okay, by what? Going to clinics that talk about things you're comfortable with? By, by lifting every day? By that shit, oh, that's, you like that. I don't care if you do five by five or 10 by 10 or whatever in your own training sessions and then you do 100 hill sprints. That's not embracing discomfort. You like training. What is discomfort is opening yourself to criticism and feedback that makes you feel uncomfortable and challenges your self-belief. And if you don't do that, how the hell are you about to tell somebody else how to do that? It's crazy to me. But that's because coaches, I've learned, and I've nearly done this two decades, coaches are the hardest individuals to coach themselves. They are. They don't, they don't know when to ask for help. That, like Out of everybody I've coached, out of all that kind of stuff, like the hardest individuals I've ever coached are other coaches because they can be so stubborn, so defensive, so caught up in their own bias. And all that. I mean, think about this, brother. Shane, you're having me on here to talk about this. There are going to be people out there that don't even like my work because maybe they're just so focused on the training and whatever. They won't even listen to this episode, even if it's something they need to hear, because they'll think it's either about just about my book 
or just about me. And, and they may not even know it. And so the problem is the people that need this stuff the most, they turn a deaf ear to it. They just keep going down what this or it's like a drug addict. No, 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 no intervention. I'm just going to keep going back to the same drugs I love. And, and I understand, you know, it's, it's wild. Yeah, it's like it's like a horse having blinkers on. They're kind of like they're not seeing anything else peripheral. If they if they want to see what they want to see, they're down a route and they're too too far down it. I think what you said there is like coaches need coaches as well. I think that I've imagine learned. That, I, imagine that coaches need coaches. Yeah, and I've learned more from when I've had coaches in relation to how to either from communication. You've learned a certain alliance they've said, and that's worth the money alone for like even 10, 12 weeks with them, whatever it may be. You've mentioned a very very important line in the the book and I, I i have it highlighted and underlined and asterisk i've literally drawn all over the page on it is the importance of treating people the way they want to be treated because i think it takes more effort to be an asshole to be honest with you um when it comes to things but why do people struggle with treating people the way they want to be treated and not just see it as like oh here's another client or here's another session or whatever it may be yeah well and, and you know what you might not like this because i've actually changed that a little bit although i i still think it puts us on the same page we hear you want to treat people how you want to be treated, but it's really about treating them how they want to be treated. Not yeah. everybody wants to be treated like me, right? Like if you were my coach, uh, when I competed in boxing, uh, you know, in college, if I lost, I did not want a coach that would come like hug me and love me up and tell me it was going to be okay. Right. So like, let's say that that coach, they wanted to be treated that way. So that's how they coach me. I don't want that. I like somebody that can say, Hey, this is what happened. We're going to break it down. We're going to get back to work and we're going to handle this in a very strategic fashion. So that's where I backtracked a little bit. And there are a lot of things in the book, right? That, that we build off since then. There is so much I couldn't even put in the book that we always think it's a great starting point for people. It's critical. But later on, we built an online course called Bought In that was way more immersive for the nerds out there, people that really wanted something tactical. And that's where we kind of talked about coaching styles and how to figure out your coaching style and how it fits with different people and their perception. Um, but you to get to your point, you, you've got to be aware of the, the whether you want to call it love languages, whether you want to call it personality profiles, whether you want to call about preferences, whatever term somebody uses that day, you've got to be able to be really locked into how that person receives their messaging at the end of the day. Again, this is what massive corporations do when they spend billions on advertising. They get focus groups, they learn who their audience is, and they understand how to tailor their messages to their audience's wants and needs. And that requires compassion, that requires empathy, that requires you getting outside of yourself. And so, you know, like to give your listeners something super tactical, we created something that can help people learn a little bit more about themselves and, and maybe even learn more about the people that, that they reach. They can go to Art of Coaching. This is completely free. Artofcoaching.com forward slash what drives you. Again, artofcoaching.com forward slash what drives you. And it'll take you right to a quiz that through the answers in this quiz will lead them to a, a predominant drive. Now, unlike DISC and Enneagram and Myers-Briggs, we never say, take this once and that's what you are. We tell people, take it three to four times, maybe even six. Take it in good moods. Take it in bad moods. Take it when you're uh, sober. Take it if you've imbibed a little bit. Take it under a wide variety of situations because our personality is always changing, right? Aspects of it, like certain days we experience other emotions, certain days we experience this. So we need a larger sample size. Um, and then we also weight the questions. So, you know, with the disc, they'll, they'll maybe say, hey, would you rather be popular or powerful? Well, what's the context? That's a horrible question, right? So people, when they do these MBTIs and the disc and whatever, 
one, they're answering it in a socially desirable way. Half of them are answering these questions based on what they think they should answer, right? The questions aren't context rich and what have you. Ours is different. It's not perfect, but we counterweight the scores. So if we notice somebody always choosing one answer, that answer isn't always good, right? It's not always five points for this answer. Sometimes it's negative four points. Sometimes it's plus three points because it's all situational. And uh, it, it'll give you, it'll spit out and say, hey, here's your predominant drive. And a drive is a subconscious influencer of behavior. It's very different than a motivation. Um, and here's strengths and weaknesses associated with that. Now, nobody's just one drive. Just like in my book, I say nobody's one archetype. You never, ever, ever assess somebody in a vacuum. You might present one way around friends, be a different way around family. You might be one way during COVID, one way before COVID. Everybody's constantly changing. And that's the point of the quiz. That's why you want to take it more than once. But once you have better insight on yourself and others, then there's other steps, right? And these are laid out in our other resources, our podcasts, our courses, our live events that help you learn how to tailor that message. But you've got to step outside yourself. Otherwise, you're always going to be ignorant to what that other person wants and needs. And your information, the tagline, if nobody heard anything else I said in response to your question is this, your information, what you know, goes nowhere without an audience. So if you don't understand your audience and you can't communicate in a way that they receive it, they're not hard to coach. You're a jackass of a coach. Bottom line, you're tone deaf. Yeah. I know. And I think a lot of people have probably needed to hear that because I think too many coaches have gone down the route of like almost, almost a dictatorship. They're like, here's your program. Here you go. Do this, do this, do this. I'm not actually taking in, not getting any buy. And it's like, where you go. And I had that this morning. We're talking to someone who's like, didn't had an issue with whatever her hormones. Here's a lower calorie program. Wasn't even a no refund because the person on the application form was like, wasn't even listening. It was like, that's not coaching. That's not listening to the actual person. No, but, and it's not, you know, we've seen this on the other end, Shane. You know, I had one smart ass coach be like, well, I coach 150 people in groups yeah. of 40 to 50. You're telling me I need to do this and that with every single one of them. Of course, I'm not saying that. Great. I coach huge groups as well. Of course, I'm not saying that you sit there and give everybody their special little flower-based cue and they're all, you know, what, but what I 100% am saying that you need to be versatile. You know, like if like you need to be versatile in the way that you communicate. And by the way, after the session's done, hell yeah, you have time to, you know, over the course of a season, over the course of months and weeks, you have an ability to bring them into your office one-on-one or have more little, I mean, I've seen this, I've been in these settings, buddy. You know what I mean? Like you, you ask people if they're sore, you ask them how they feel, how's life going. There's these little micro interactions that happen over the course of time. Yeah. That's what I'm telling. I mean, I've seen everybody in the world try to fight this almost, you know, and really what it is is the more people fight against this idea that you and I are saying, the idea that you need to be socially adaptable, you got to understand human nature and you need to understand how to craft your messaging and your coaching in a wide variety of ways. The more people fight that, the more what you're realizing is they're just scared of change. They're insecure. They don't think they can do it. Or it just rallies against the fact that really they got into this field because they like training. They like training. They don't like the people side of it. You know, and that's fine. There, there, there's, there's jobs where that's okay. But at the end of the day, don't complain then and don't think like if every client is the problem or every athlete, whatever term you're using and whatever, you know, whoever's listening, then you're clearly the problem. And how do you know that you're not the problem? If you're not going to any workshops and whatever, and if people want to say, well, now you're plugging your workshops, hell yeah. 
listen, so there's a restaurant down the street. It's a family restaurant. They make good food. Why should they not advertise that they can solve a problem when you need good food? If I, the, the person that created the world's first hotel, you think he didn't tell people about the hotel? There were people that were tired and needed a place to say, of course, I'm going to say, if you're struggling with this, come to our shit. I'm not saying it's going to solve all your problems. I'm going to say, well, what's your other, what's your other, what, how else are you going to do this? You're going to, you and your staff going to assess each other because your staff's going to give you honest feedback. You're going to do it yourself because you're not biased. At our workshops, at least you have, you have people that are chefs and coaches and people that have worked in HR and a police officer. We've had an FBI. We open them up to everybody because that's the other thing, Shane. Why? Why in strength and conditioning are all these conferences only strength and conditioning? If I want to go to another conference, let's say it's on digital marketing. Let's say it's on business development. Let's say it's on psychology. I went to a conference on psychology. Uh, what keeps people from changing their behavior uh, before COVID? There was a dentist. There was 20 other professions represented. You know how many coaches or trainers there were there? Zero. Yeah. Me and my wife were the only two people from our profession because our profession's too busy out there being like, uh, this, this guy's got a squat presentation at one. And then another guy's got a squat presentation at two. And then there's a squat presentation at three that I want to go to that talks about chains. And then later we're going to go to an assessment about, is it time to squat? And then after that, it's going to be a six o'clock um, dinner social about, should you bilateral squat or single leg squat? And you're like, good Lord. And I've been there again. I make fun of it because I'm making fun of myself. I read every, you know, you read all the periodization textbooks. And I love it. I, I'm, I'm poking fun, helping people try to just realize what I realized a while back. I've been there. I'm not, I'm not better than anybody else. I'm not smarter than anybody else. I've just been there and I'm self-aware and I've done the research in this space and it's, it, there's an issue, you know? Yeah. But I think, as you said, like you've, you've made those mistakes, but you're, you've, you've right. seen it and you're looking back in perspective now and it's like, and looked in hindsight and kind of saying, well, I'm trying to push people in the direction so that they don't make the same mistakes that I have so that they can become better coaches and be, potentially take the mantle whenever that is. One of the big things that what can happen with coaches is the constant, constant picking, constant, constant, like um, kind of constantly correcting someone for what they're doing, whether it be with their form, whether it be with their food, whether it be relationship or whatever it may be. Why is that whole thing going to make that relationship dead? And why is that going to bring it to a dead end, that whole relationship? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, we have a, a presentation. It's free online. It's called Creating the Optimal Coaching Environment. Um, again, it's available at artofcoaching.com. And, and I talk about, you know, these queuing, these strategies, what have you. I'll give you a very simple answer is, again, you, your information goes nowhere without an audience. We know that. But you also, attention is a scarce commodity. You know, attention is a scarce commodity. And when you're constantly coaching somebody and you're constantly telling them what they did wrong, what they need to do better, you're taking somebody that by and large doesn't know what you know anyway, right? They have the curse. It's the curse of knowledge. You're trying to tell somebody who inherently is not a subject matter expert who might be doing something for the first, third, second, whatever time, and, you know, might be dealing with fatigue and whatever. There's a million other things that are competing for their attention. And you're just trying to hammer it home. More information, simply put, is not the answer. It's not the answer, right? You have to think about what you're saying and does it have positive transfer to, to that learner's uh, abilities based on uh, you know their past, based on things they might be familiar with, right? Their schema, right? Or does it have negative transfer? 
right? There's all these different kinds of things that people have to consider. You also have to consider their perceptual mode of learning, right? Like everybody's got a variety of ways they learn, right? There's never just one learning style, but you know, we, we, there's sample teaching strategies, whether you're looking at analytical stuff, right? Cognitive tasks, giving somebody a rational breakdown, asking them questions, uh, visual, right? Demonstrations, giving video feedback, uh, using pictures or imagery, kinesthetic, guided practice, simulations, walking through, letting them get reps, auditory, the use of clapping and music and tone of voice, right? So uh, if somebody says, hey, can you demonstrate? I'm having trouble understanding what you're asking for exactly. Well, that's somebody that maybe wants more visual input. If somebody says, hey, how does doing this help me improve in anything related to my sport? Right. That's that's time for you to open up analytically a little bit. They they have a critical thinking based question. Or if somebody says, What should this feel like? I think I'm doing it incorrectly, right? That might be somebody that needs a little bit more kinesthetic. And so this is again why coaches need to understand how to communicate and get assessed and upskilled on this because all learners, and that's what these people are, clients, athletes, whatever, they're learners, they have different or combined profiles. And and you've got to understand that. You've got to understand that everything you do in the environment is going to impact their learning positively, negatively. And there's so many aspects of that that can get really messy if, if you don't know what you're doing. And if you're not, and that's again, why we say the, the art of coaching is the ability to navigate, negotiate, and influence social relationships, the ability to identify and adapt to variables that impact you know, uh, human performance. All these pieces are a part of that. Now consider this too, why they need to be careful of this. When, when we look at the fallibility of memory, Right, and the, the source from here is a, a gentleman named Owen Hargy in 2018. He says that generally people forget about 55% of what they heard immediately after they hear it. So, by and large, by this point, your, your audience has already forgotten 55% of what I've said here. And after about eight hours, we can usually only recall about 35% of what was said. And then after 24 hours, you generally remember 20% or less. So think about that. You forget 55% immediately after you hear it. You can usually only recall 35% after eight hours. And then after 24 hours, you generally only remember 20%. That's why you better make your messaging count. And that's why you need to be very mindful of not overcoaching. And that's why you better learn tools to help you understand how people vary in their perceptual modes, how people, uh, you know, like how they categorize information in their brain. Like literally people think that just because I say something, you understand it. No, I could tap a song on my desk right now and I could hear it as clear as a day in my head. You're going to have no clue more than likely. Those stats are crazy. And that's all part. I mean, we have these resources for those of you that are visual Another sales pitch. These are all in our courses. These are in bought in. This is in our live apprenticeship. I mean, we've thought about, we've tried to make this excuse proof, Shane, for coaches. We get that there's some coaches due to COVID can't travel for our apprenticeship. Cool. You have three online courses, blind spot, valued, bought in. All these things are there, right? Oh, you don't have the budget? Cool. We have a book. That book ranges from seven to $25. Still can't afford that? Cool. We got a podcast. Podcast is free. Don't have time for that? Okay, well, if everything comes down to you not having time and money, then again, at some point, you got to understand what the excuse is, right? Like you got to do the work or you don't. Everybody's been there before. Nobody's going to wake up and be like, oh my God, Shane, I have so much time and so much money. What am I going to do with it all? And just the excuses are crazy. It's just insecurity. It's insecurity. It's fear. It's new. I get it. It's normal. 
But you know what? That's also the environment we create. If people come to our stuff, we normalize failure. I'm going to look stupid too. We do a lot of different things where, you know, I, I, I get out there. Nothing's worse than going to a clinic where you just see like somebody act like they're the smartest person in the world. We do new role-playing scenarios at every clinic and I'll jump in and I'll bomb some and then I'll crush some others. And it always varies. And that's the fun of it. That's what's missed amongst all this is like failure and learning should be fun. But we don't, we don't apply that to how we coach. People will get, oh, okay, well, you're learning how to clean. Yeah, it's exciting. I'll keep working on it. You mess up in a role-playing exercise or communication drill or whatever, people, you know, like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. But, you know, that's also why we tend to see a more mature audience at our workshops. And I mean, mature, not age. Like we've had 19-year-olds and 64-year-olds, but it's generally people that are kind of like, they know they're not the shit. They're not worried about it. They just want to learn. They're an open book and they want to get better any way that they can. And so they come and they have fun and they challenge themselves and they laugh. And that's really who we want. I think that's critical for other coaches listening to this too. Guys, when you're trying to make a difference in somebody's life, you're not going to catch them all. Not everybody's going to be for you, whether you're coaching other coaches, coaching clients, coaching athletes. I have no desire to convince everybody to come to our stuff. The people that I'm speaking to that are for us are already making their mind up while they're hearing this, they're all in. The people that are still rolling their eyes or don't want to listen to these kinds of episodes and will never read the book, they're just not there yet and they may never be. And that's perfectly fine. My work is not for you. Do not come if you want to prove something. Come if you want to get better and be open with profession. I mean, the military takes the same approach. You go work with some of the most elite fighting forces in the world. Yes, there's hard-nosed stuff, but they're learning constantly. They understand sacrifice, humility, it's always bigger picture thinking. It's not, I'm the best and there's nothing else to learn and I'm not going to show weakness. That is an awful, nobody should be a coach that has those, those outlooks. The whole thing that you mentioned there that I kind of latched onto was if coaches are expecting their clients to invest in their own health and invest in their own selves, well, why can't they do it to themselves? Because I think not, like, a lot of it is, as you said, it, a lot of it is ego, a lot of it is fear, a lot of it is a lot of other things at play. But if they can't ultimately... Everyone can go and buy, as you said, everyone can go and do like a squat course. Everyone can do like a biomechanics course. Everyone can do that kind of stuff. But the communication element is so key to the process. It doesn't even have to be, it could be a manager. It could be someone, it could be like someone working in a shop or whatever it may be. And it's how to actually interact with someone. And you talk about the different archetypes. And I know you've added to the different archetypes over the last little while since the version of the book that I have. Can you type, like you said that, there's a few different ones. Can you kind of talk about the, like the main ones, like the, like the self-sabotage or the skeptic or the Wolverine or the technician and kind of, kind of go through in very, very quick synopsis on those? Yeah. And, and for those of you guys not familiar, an archetype by definition just means an example or a motif or, you know, it, it's always uh, think about movies, right? There's a hero, there's a villain. Think about social media. There's somebody that always shares political messages. There's somebody that shares pictures of their cat. There's, right? there's, there's the grumpy person on their lawn. There's the carefree person, you know, whatever. Like archetypes are examples, right? So the, these, these are not things that are static. I, you know, I remember somebody once wrote a review of the book, somebody that just didn't like me personally and tried making it sound like I was medically diagnosing people um, when the book clearly says, hey, these are not, you're not to latch onto one of these. These are just patterns of behavior, examples, superficial patterns of behavior. 
to help you get like a starting point and make sense of what you might be seeing. So somebody could be one archetype or display aspects of one archetype in one moment, be completely different in the next. It's all highly variable. And which is another reason people need to be trained in this stuff so they don't make false judgments. So nothing is static. So what I talk about is, you know, over the course of my career, I've worked with a wide range of athletes, a wide range of personalities, but you start to see common themes. So one I talk about in the book is, you know, what I call the specialist. And and keep in mind, because I don't have time to go over every single thing. There's 16 in the book, and it's a whole separate framework that we go over in our online courses and live courses. I'm going to give a couple examples, and then I'll open it up, you know, if you have questions off of that, but I won't be able to go through it all. So the specialist is somebody where like their sport is their life. And I'm going to use athlete context here because I mainly work with athletes, but these can, of course, be in many different contexts. But the specialist is sport is their life. Uh, Their common motivations are just competing in their sport, what it means to get better at their sport, validation, identify with this sport, right? And the, the strengths, loosely put, because we break this down in the book, we say, what's the archetype? We say, how can you identify it? What are strengths and weaknesses? How do you navigate it? What should you do? What shouldn't you do? And I brought in 16 other coaches to give their take to, you know, augment my bias because I don't have the best answer for everything. So, you know, a lot of the strengths of the specialist is they're very passionate. <laughs> they're super focused, usually sometimes hyper-focused. Then they tend to be disciplined, right? They, they want to get, it's very narrow what they want to improve on. And so they'll just go, 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 go. But the other aspect of that, because every virtue has a vice, is they can be one-dimensional right? They're so focused on that. They create blind spots in other areas. They're a perfectionist. They can be very OCD. They can be in their own heads, right? They can be very finicky. And, you know, risks and opportunities here when you coach them, you know, the specialists sometimes in in my experience, many of them weren't interested in training. Again, they're very interested in their sport, sport skill, only interested in competing. And that singular focus keeps them from being well-rounded. And so, you know, that you've got to communicate everything you're doing, in a way that kind of goes back to the things they care about most, right? If they're telling you their so-called love language or what what their world is about, yet you keep trying to make it about what you want it to be about, as opposed to meeting them where they're at, you're going to lose your audience, right? And so like getting to know them, acknowledging what they care about, trying to learn more about that, using explaining training in their terms, like I said, how does it help them in their sport? What, what might it cause, uh, like, you know, how, how might it lead to injury if they, if they don't utilize it, right? Like, you got to keep things focused on what they care about. Before I move on, in a general sense, does that make sense? Yes, that makes complete sense. Okay. The Wolverine, and I identify with this a little bit. The Wolverine, you know, and I have many athletes like this where it's like, you couldn't quite crack them. And it's a little bit how I made my name in the field. I like dealing with difficult people because when I was hospitalized, a lot of the therapists and what have you, you know, they categorize me as a difficult person. And, and the reality is they didn't even really get to know you. You know, everything was solved through medication, right? They didn't really get to know the patient. They just saw the symptoms. And so I remember, you know, working with some athletes, it just seemed like they're very complex. They were withdrawn a little bit. Sometimes they'd kind of be a brooding figure. You know, they'd kind of isolate a little bit from the rest of the pack, right? The name, the Wolverine says a lot of it. If people are familiar at all with the Marvel character and that archetype, you know, and, and common motivations, these are people that are really self-reliant, right? So one of the Wolverines I worked with, you know, lost his parents at a young age. He had to be self-reliant. You know, I've had to be self-reliant in a lot of aspects of my life. These are people that they may not trust everybody else. Right. And, and that's, that can be an issue by the way, too, you know, so they're self-reliant, they're competent, but that might come at the fact of like, 
they don't have a, a wide network or if they do have a wide network, you know, they don't lean on them as much as they should. And so this self-reliance has led to them being very self-sufficient, but they also have a healthy distrust, fear, uh, you know, of others and, and their agendas. They may be angry, you know, they may be easy to anger in certain things. And they're one of the trickiest archetypes to coach, but it's also super rewarding. I always love working with these types. You know, they're they're tight-lipped. And so you really got to find a way to get something out of them. And you can't, you can't handle it directly a lot of the time. You can't just go out of them and be like, hey, dude, open up. You know, like if you go head on, that's that's gonna be something that's that's pretty troublesome. At the same time, you can't back down if they challenge you, right? They're trying to sniff you out. Are you an animal of the same ilk? Do you get it? Right. Choose words carefully. Like just saying you're not bought in and all this because they're not with everybody else. That's that's pretty reductionist, right? There's a lot of reasons it might just take somebody a little bit longer to to get with the program. And so, yeah, like like you said, Shane, there's 16 more and bought in. If people are interested, there's a whole there's a whole section on it. We give people a PDF that has been put on gyms and 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 in the walls of organizations around the world. It's been super cool. It says the archetype, you know, how you might identify it, risks, what to do. We call it the play call sheet. And, and then these people have gone in and, and said, okay, what did I witness? What behaviors did I witness most when coaching? And, you know, they'll kind of tally it and they'll say, hey, what, what was an issue in this session? Okay, Vanessa didn't do this. Right. What archetypical behaviors made you kind of come to that conclusion? Oh, well, you know, there's just a lot of self-doubt and hesitancy and anxiety and, and she's such a hard worker. I just don't get it. Okay. Well, which one is, oh, the underdog. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. And then you start to just collect data, right? And you start to see like, are, are there certain trends? Are there certain occurrences? What strategies worked? What didn't work? Because strategies that work for me here in the US with one archetype might not work really well if I go to South Africa, if I come to Ireland. Everybody, it's very complex and that's the fun of it. That's coaching, right? That's coaching, getting in and knowing that there's not black and white, one answer it's the gray area, baby, you know, and, and then all of them are going to have different, every, nobody's one archetype. They're always going to mix. Like it's, it's very interesting. If anyone hasn't got the book, please go and get the book. Like I cannot recommend it highly enough. And like, I'm going to put all the links and stuff that you've mentioned, um, that you as well. But I think the last thing that I kind of want to ask you about Brett is the top three mistakes coaches to avoid. Um, I know that the link is, uh, that you said, I'm going to put those in the bio as well for the, for the guys so they can click on those, do the quick test and keep doing the test over and over again. And if you're in the UK, Brett's going to be over there in the UK as well for in October and stuff for, for, uh, workshops and stuff. So I'd highly recommend doing that. But the last question is the top three mistakes coaches to, to avoid. Oh man, top three. I, I know I have a whole bunch of them in the book and, yeah. you know, I'd be lying if I even remember what they all are. Um, there's so many, Shane. I mean, I, the top three is so dependent on individuals. I think, I think I've already talked about a number of mistakes here. Like, yeah. you know, having, having what I call fundamental attribution error of looking at other people being like, I can't believe they do this and not having the self-awareness that you do that same thing, right? Looking at other people and being like, oh, there's so many asymmetries and imbalances. How could they let themselves get so unfit or this and that, or how could they let that happen? And then not recognizing you do that in your own coach development. So the, the biggest mistake is not learning broadly, not from just reading books and whatever, but putting yourself in magnificently uncomfortable situations amongst peers and being forced to kind of self-evaluate, self-reflect. And, and that's what we've tried to create all of our resources to do, you know? So I think having those blind spots that, that go unaddressed 
and not, not looking at, even if, even as simple as, Oh, you know, I thought, I think about my mom the other day, right. Just so coaches don't feel attacked. My mom was criticizing my uncle. Oh, your uncle's stubborn. He won't do this. He won't do that. And I go, well, mom, you're the same way. And she goes, well, no, I'm not. And I go, sure you are. I go, mom, when's the last time you went and lifted weights? Cause she was criticizing my uncle about going on a date or something like that. And, and she's like, well, it's been a while. And I said, okay, well, why? Well, I have a lot of other things going on. I go, okay, great. And he gives you the excuse that he's busy and he's got other things going on too. So no matter what somebody thinks about why somebody else is being a pain in the ass, you're likely being a pain in the ass in some other area of your life. So I, I just think that that is the number one, this blindness that we have. And I'm almost the other way, Shane. Nobody has to tell me I suck because I know all the areas I suck. And how do I know it? Listen, when you put out over 200 episodes of a podcast, collectively 70 hours of online courses, over 3,000 tweets and Instagrams and all this, and I have to teach, right? I, God knows how many times I've spoken. I'm constantly put in environments where you know my, my blood is drawn, right? Like I have a book on Amazon. People that don't even know me can, you know, I've had people say I should be hung, that I should be killed, that I'm a cult leader. These people don't even verify purchase. You know what I mean? I can go, I can go give a 60 minute talk on human behavior. And just because one person didn't get their question answered, they could be like, wasn't applicable to me. Never mind you, I tried to consolidate 10 years of research into a 60 minute talk. So the bottom line is people just aren't accountable. You know, they're not accountable to themselves because they hide and they, they don't want to put them skin in the game. And putting skin in the game is one of the best things you can do. Take the wounds, take the struggles, man. Like it sucks. I get it. But like you, you grow from it. You grow from that kind of stuff. So I think the other thing is coaches to give you something different, very unhealthy attitude towards money. And this is something we talked about in our course bought in or valued. You know, I, my parents both grew up super poor. And even though I grew up in a middle, like above middle average income family in the US, like my dad's job was entirely commission-based being a stockbroker. My mom worked for the government, but they both grew up poor and they taught my brother and I the value of a dollar. You know, I've been that guy that's rinsed off paper plates and Dixie cups. You know, like I said, I did two unpaid internships and all this, but there are a lot of coaches that they want all their resources free, cheap, or like free, cheap, quick, and easy and high quality. You can't have all of that. You cannot have something cheaper, free, quick and easy and high quality. You can't. And, and, and a lot of it is just very weird. It's weird to me that, you know, coaches are, are very, they just have a, you know, I remember when I put out one of my courses, somebody was like, oh, this should be free. And I said, why should this be free? Well, if you're really in this field to coach and help people, I go, so again, time out. If I go to the doctor and I get billed on my insurance, I can just go up and be like, hey, if you really wanted to help me, this should be free. Or if I go to the restaurant and I say, well, you really want to feed people or you love what you do and you're in it for the right reasons, this should be free. Dude, that is insane. It cost me $25,000 to write conscious coaching. That was our savings. It cost 20, 10 to $20,000 to build any of our online courses. And there are people out there that are like, why isn't this 60 bucks? Why isn't this free? Because it's produced in 4K video and took two years of my life in terms of the courses. or Like, think about that, man. Like, you know, do you give your clients free training? Like people are not going to value something if it's cheap, easy, and free. And that's the real issue. You have by and large, a lot of people in this field that are very insecure. And because they're insecure, they don't want to put skin in the game. And because they don't want to put skin in the game, they don't want to buy, pay for things with money or put themselves out there. 
because they know they won't do it or they're scared they won't do it. So you understand how this becomes this kind of weird pseudo incestuous corrosive thing. Guys, if you want people to pay you for your expertise, go pay. Like uh, Shane, would you rather, and, and it's okay, whichever one you answer, would you rather pay for a $25 massage or let's say $120 massage? Probably 120 because it's probably going to be better. You hope it's going to be better. You hope. Now, no guarantee, right? We paid a lot for really shitty stuff before. Yeah. But here's what I can get. I've almost never had a great $30 massage, right? No. I like, uh, like I'm bad about self-care in general, but I've, I've had some bad experiences with expensive products, but I generally have a lot more bad experiences with really cheap products. And this is where somebody gets into defensive mode and equals one. Yes. We all know about that thing you guys bought on eBay or whatever, and it's lasted 50 years. Great. I know people that smoke and don't get cancer, right? But the bottom line is people have to understand that value is subjective and you have to have a healthier attitude towards money. Cause I don't know many happily married, retired, financially stable, fit strength coaches and trainers, right? We have been sold the gas. We have been sold just grind and do this and passion and blah, don't do it for the money. Guys, you can love what you do. Be really freaking good at it. Help a lot of people and still make money. We donated a portion of proceeds from all sales of online courses and my book to donate to the Leukemia Lymphoma Foundation in July. I can't give them that money if I don't make money. You know, it's basic economics, guys. So yeah, fight your blind spots, put skin in the game, get a healthy attitude towards money because there's a business side to what we do. There's a business side to what you do and you cannot help people if you are bankrupt and burnout and not taking care of yourself. I'll leave it at those because I think that's a lot. No, and I think that the last one is definitely, I think it's definitely going to strike a chord because I think from my own experience of kind of like, with PT and stuff, I've came from a sales background. It's like when people are pricing out their sessions, it's like, well, you don't get to decide the price, the customer result. And like Merck don't decide the price. It may not be the car for someone, but it's going to be the car for someone else because they can price it up. You can't put your own self-worth into a price. And that's hugely, hugely important. You mentioned your car, your courses on artofcoaching.com. Uh, where can people see your, your, you're coming over to the UK, I think in October, you mentioned where can people get the book? Where can people find out where your courses? And if, guys, if you haven't bought the books or aren't going to do it or haven't done any of the courses with Brett, please, please, please sign up. Where can people find out about that? All that kind of stuff, Brett. Yeah, appreciate it. I mean, everything is linked at artofcoaching.com. The book is available worldwide via Amazon, Audible, Kindle, uh, we do signed copies via my website, brettbartholomew.net, but literally Amazon, Audible, Kindle, the biggest book distributor in the world. If you literally just type in my name and conscious coaching, it will come up. Um, all of our courses, online courses are at artofcoaching.com forward slash courses. We try to imagine that, right? Our workshops, you can find all of that there. And uh, here's the thing, guys, like I take what I do really seriously and I'm extremely self-competitive, Okay. Our stuff is not cheap and it's not cheap because we put a lot into it. We put a lot into it and I am very competitive with myself to try to over deliver. So I will not knock it out of the park all of the time, right? I'm inherently imperfect, but nobody will ever go through the things that we create and feel like they were let down for a lack of trying or us caring or us doing everything we can to provide that experience. Now, we can't make people that don't have an open mind have an open mind. 
We can't make people who are inherently sad, angry, frustrated people less sad, angry, and frustrated. That is a job for incremental lifestyle changes you got to take on your own. But if you want to get better, you want to be open, you want to be stripped bare, and you want to come back a better coach and talk about real shit, real shit in this profession that's challenging, our stuff is for you. And I share more than all my mistakes and failures and embarrassments. I'm, I'm not perfect. And we want more people like that. We're, Art of Coaching is a company for misfits, Shane. We're a company for the people that want to get deeper and, uh, and, and are just kind of tired of superficial stuff. So I'd love to meet you guys. I know that I, I'm very convicted and passionate. I'm sure that's hard to listen to for a whole hour, but this stuff is my life. And I nearly lost my life to get into it. So we want to do good and, we, and we'd love to have you. And it's been an absolute pleasure to like, I, as I said at the beginning, it was the first ever book that I read as a, uh, as a coach, uh, conscious coaching. So I, it's been an absolute pleasure having the, the time to talk to you. It just happens to be there's a microphone on in front of us as well. But Brett, I cannot thank you enough for, for coming on and spreading the word. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Shane. It's been awesome. Thank you for being prepared, having such great questions and making this a great experience. True pro. Thank you so much.